Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Marvin. And uh, thanks again to the kids for uh, leading us. Thanks, Bill. Uh, for the kids for leading us. I feel like I'm at a disadvantage without the worship team behind me ready to play on a secret word. Um, I think that'd be kind of fun if there was just a secret word and they would just play uh, behind. Sometime we'll have to try that, James. Have to <laughs> try that. But, uh, but that was good. Good energy and great to have the kids uh, just uh, participate in the service like that. Although I thought, you know, especially for those young ones, I mean, the first time you get up here and you're not staring at people and everyone's staring at you, that has to be a particularly jarring moment at times. Um, but, uh, but they did great, and we're glad to have that. As we, uh, as Pastor Marvin mentioned, we're, we're uh, not far away from Christmas. You guys know that, right? And I feel like as we get to this, um, this close to Christmas, there's a couple different categories of people in the room. Uh, one category is you are totally done with your Christmas shopping. And you want everyone to know that that's you. Who is that? Who are you? You are totally done. There you go. Get your hands up so we can all celebrate you that are finished. How many of you were done a month ago? Anyone? Okay, first service people are done early because we had a lot of people in the first service that were like done a month ago. Uh, Now, we have another category of people. You're in here and you're not done, but you know it's going to get done. Who is there? Yeah, we got a lot of people, right? You're not quite finished, but you know I'm going to get done. And then we got some of you in here, you're not done, and you're not sure it's going to get done. (laughs) Anyone in that category? You are praying for Amazon drivers like you have never prayed for anyone before. Yeah, we're in this category. It's tricky to know. And some of you may be in here, you thought you were done, but then you started thinking I should get one more thing. I see. You ever feel like that? I know. I always feel like that. Wendy and I at times, I think especially with our kids, we're always like, are we done? Are we not done? Especially when they were little, we often felt like this. And so we kind of came up with a grid. I think somebody shared it with us. I'm sure we stole it from somebody of, you know, how are we going to limit, you know, these presents? You know, when is enough enough? Right? So, so someone shared with us this grid, and I'm sure others of you use it too, something like, so we always get them, we try and get them something they want, something they need something to grow, like spiritually, and then something to read, and then an experience. So that's kind of been our our grid. And some of you have similar ones or or maybe different ones. We don't always stick to it. I'm not saying we're great at that. Um, But but, but most part, we're like, okay, did we get a want, a need, a growth, a read, and an experience? Um, And it's that, that want and need I want to talk to you a little bit about this morning. You know, I think that's a lot of what comes up at Christmas time, the want and the need. Do you, are you someone who buys people something they want, or are you someone who buys people something they need? I think it's interesting, a kid, when, kid, when you're younger, when you're a kid, your, your wants feel like needs, right? Yeah, some of you have kids that are going, I need this device, this game, this toy. I need this pair of shoes, right? But then I notice when you get older, I think it works the other way. All of a sudden, your needs become wants, right? People ask you what you want for Christmas, right? And you're like, I'd really want a good pair of gloves, right? Or a hat. And they're not really wants, they're needs. 
And my kids, I think my son asked me, you know, what do you want? I'm like, I could use a new pair of gloves. He's like, that's no fun. I'm not buying you gloves. That's, that's, and you're older, that's what happens. Your needs become wants. My hands are cold. I could use gloves. Wants and needs. I want to talk a little bit about that today, especially as we talk about this love candle. And, and here's why. Because I think sometimes we can confuse loving someone with always giving them something they want or always giving them what they want. I think at times we might, if we're not careful, identify love with giving someone what they want all the time. In fact, I think we might live in a world right now that would say that's a good definition of love. Just if you, you give people what they want, that's how you show that you love them. Uh, that you, if you accept them and let them live how they want, that that's how you would show that you love them. Oftentimes at Christmas, we're talking about wants and not needs. In fact, our songs talk about wants. We have songs like, all I want for Christmas is you, right? Or all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, right? Or how about this one? I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. It's a lot about wants, uh, this time. But we have to be careful, I think, that we don't conflate our wants or giving people what they want with our idea of what it means to love someone. So let me clarify that a little bit today by talking about these two things. How God loves us and then how God calls his followers to love each other. Those are the two things I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. How God loves us and how God calls those who love him, those who say they're followers of Jesus, how he calls them to love each other. And I want to start by, uh, with this statement here, that God loves us, God loves you according to our needs and not simply our wants. God loves you according to your needs and not simply your wants. Wants. And to look at that, let's, let's look at a passage of scripture in the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in a chair rack, either right under the chair you're sitting on or in a chair right near you. And if you use a chair rack Bible, uh, this passage of scripture is found on page 1023. 1023 should be the page that this is on. And... Um, if, you have a, if you're using a chair rack Bible and you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that home as our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, that can be your Bible, and we'd love for that to be a gift to you um, so that you can have a copy of God's Word with you. As you're turning there to 1 John chapter 4, let me just give you a little context who John is. John was a disciple of Jesus. Uh, he was someone who was with Jesus. He was one of the closest disciples of Jesus. He also wrote what we call the Gospel of John. The kids just recited John 3.16. That comes from the Gospel of John. But in addition to that Gospel, which is the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he wrote letters. And he wrote letters to the first century church, teaching them about how to follow Jesus. And he wrote three letters, and we have creatively named them 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 
And so we are in 1 John chapter 4, and I want to read verses 9 and 10 as we talk about this idea that God loves us according to our needs, not simply our wants. Verse 9, 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me just, would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. God, as we take the next few minutes to consider what that means, to consider how you love us and how we're to love each other, to consider the words of your holy scripture and how they affect our lives, God, would you just open our ears and our hearts to what you want to say to us today? Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room, each and every person joining us online. Lord, I believe you have a word for each and every person today. Lord, would you speak to our hearts, open us up to understand and hear your word today. Lord, help them not to be my words. Help me to not get in the way of what your spirit would want to do among us today. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage, one of the things I love about this passage, I feel like this is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the Christian message in two short verses. This is Christmas and Easter in two verses. I mean, think about it. The first verse, in this, the love of God was made manifest. It was shown, it was demonstrated among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's Christmas, right? God sent his son in the world that we might have life through him. That's Christmas, And then this is Easter, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, which is interesting, right? Because some people think that Christianity, church, religion is all about loving God more. And actually it says not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. Actually the message of Christianity is to help you understand how much God loves you, and then you can grow in understanding loving him. In this, not that we have loved God, this is love, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we're going to unpack that word in a couple minutes if you haven't used propitiation in your conversation much lately this week. We're going to unpack that. But that second verse is really Easter, right? That's the death of Jesus Christ. That's Good Friday. And this is the message of the gospel. This is what God did. He sent his son that we might have life. He sent his son for a sacrifice for our sins. This is the gospel. But this is also about something we need, not necessarily something we would have wanted or known to ask for. I mean, if we have the choice and we're to ask God for anything and God is all powerful and mighty, we have all kinds of things we would ask him for all kinds of things we want. Maybe it's a better job. Maybe it's a little more money. Maybe it's a bigger house. Maybe it's peace in our relationships and our friendships. Maybe it's peace in our family. Maybe it's peace in our world. We have all kinds of things we might ask God for that we want. Many of those are good things. But many of us would not have asked God for his son. 
if we could ask God for anything. We maybe not, would not have asked God for eternal life or a sacrifice to take away our sins. Because to be honest, we don't often think of ourselves along those lines. A lot of times we think of ourselves as doing pretty well. Uh, I mean, there's things that intrude upon our joy and our goodness. There's, you know, certainly sickness that comes in at times and death of a loved one or a pandemic that interrupts life. There's things that come in and for those things, we'd go to God and say, God, I could use some help here and if you could help here, that would be great. That's what I would want if you could come through. But that about captures it, doesn't it? We think sometimes that God is kind of like a server in a restaurant coming to our table and said, how's your meal? Can I get you anything else? And we might be tempted to say, oh, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Everything was great. Thanks for asking, though. We often don't think of ourselves as sinners. We don't think of ourselves as needing and requiring a sacrifice for our sins. We often don't think of ourselves as that coming to the first of our mind that we need someone who can deal with this aspect of our lives. We don't see it as clearly as we might see a check at the end of the meal at the restaurant. I mean, you get the bill, it comes to the table, and you look at it and say, oh, 57 85 for food and drinks. Okay, that sounds about right. And then you keep reading through the bill. If it was as clear as getting to the bottom of that bill and you looking at it and say, wait, there's something added here that we didn't order. It says uh, payment for your sins. <laughs> and you say, I, I, we didn't order that. Could I see a manager? Maybe they could take care of this. It says, no mistake, sir, no mistake, ma'am. If it was that clear, maybe we would say, God, this is what I need. I need someone to take care of this part of the bill. I can't take care of it. I need someone to take care of this. But, but often it's not that clear. Often it's not that clear. But God loves you according to your needs, not simply according to your wants. It's all kinds of things we want, but God loved you according to what you needed. So he sent Jesus to be this big $5 word, the propitiation. You want to try saying it with me? Here we go. The propitiation. It's kind of a tongue twister. I thought, I'm not going to say that right. I'm going to mess that up this week. If you haven't used it in conversation, here's what propitiation means. The definition might kind of surprise you. It means this, turning away of anger by means of a gift. That's what propitiation means. Turning away of anger by means of a gift. So if we were to take our restaurant metaphor, if we take that, it happens in, in that context at times, right? Maybe you've had a meal and something was terribly wrong with it. There was a bug in the meal. There was, I don't know, something was cooked awfully. They tried serving broccoli with it. I don't know. Something was terrible with the meal. Or maybe that's just me. Um, we can talk about that later. But something was wrong, and so you're upset, and what do they do? Oh, we're awfully sorry. You know what? We're going to comp the meal. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay for it. And what are they doing in that moment? They're offering a propitiation. They're offering a gift to offset your anger. They're offering a gift to counter the anger that's coming. And God says, God's word says, that Jesus was sent as a propitiation for our sins. Well, that may not 
sit well with us, but it's what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that apart from the sacrifice of Jesus, we actually have incurred, by our actions against God, by our sin, we've actually incurred the anger of God in our lives. It's not something that's real comfortable. That's not your typical Christmas message. But honestly, it's really hard to talk about the love of God without talking about this aspect of who God is too. In fact, one commentator says it this way, talking about it, it says that because he loves his people so greatly, he is not indifferent when they soil his creation with sin and bring misery into the lives of those he loves. Clearly, in those circumstances, he is angry. Whenever his children sin, they draw down upon themselves the anger of God. Of course, his anger is not irrational, is not an irrational lack of self-control, as it often is with humans. His anger, listen to this, is the settled opposition of his holy nature to everything that is evil. And that's, that, that's what the propitiation means, that, that God has this anger towards everything that is evil. And, and honestly, you wouldn't want it any other way. Because don't you want God to be angry with the things that are wrong and evil? Don't you want God to care about those things? And he does. But then that evil is also in us. That sin also exists in us. And how do we deal with that? How does God deal with that? Fourth century theologian Augustine said this about this passage in John. He said, thus in a marvelous and divine way, he loved us even when he hated us. For he hated us for what we were that he had not made. Yet because our wickedness had not entirely consumed his handiwork, he knew how at the same time to hate in each one of us what we had made and to love what he had made. That God understood that what we had made, the brokenness in this world, was a problem. But he also loved enough what he had made and what he had created in us to not leave us in that place. He loved us enough, this is what Christmas is, to send his son that we might have life. And this is Jesus, the propitiation the gift, the gift that God sent himself that might turn away the necessary anger against all evil in us against God. And this is the good news. This is the love of God. You cannot understand the love of God apart from understanding that holiness and righteousness of God. Because once we understand the righteousness, once we understand our incurring of God's wrath, we then can understand, yes, God, I do need, I do need you to love me in this way. I do need your son. I do need something that would deal with my sin. And that's what Jesus did. In fact, we just sang a minute ago in that how deep the Father's love with us. We just sang that verse that said, it is finished. Those were Jesus' words on the cross. But they're very particular words when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. It's actually an accounting term in that day. It was an accounting term. It is finished meant the account is closed. 
It's been paid off. The debt has been paid off. There's no longer anything owed on the account. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He said, it is finished. The account's closed. It's paid for. The propitiation has been offered. That's how God defines love, by loving us according to our needs, not simply our wants. Our world would say, no, if God is love, he would not be angered by our sin. He would accept us as we are. But his love is seen in that he does not allow us to stay where we are. And we understand this, right? I mean, if a child loves fast food and a parent only feeds them chicken McNuggets and milkshakes, the parent might say, I love my child, so I give them what they want. And you and I would say, that's not love. Or the teenager who loves to drive fast, if a parent said, I'm going to buy them a Corvette, and when they get tickets, you don't give them any punishment. In fact, you hire a lawyer to defend them because I love my child, so I give them what they want. And we would say that is not love. Or the adult child who's addicted to a substance and the parent that takes them in and and continues to give them cash to support their habit of abuse, saying, I love my child, so I give them what they want. And we would say, that's not love. That's not love. In the same way, our Heavenly Father comes to you and me and looks at our sin. And if you let us continue doing everything we wanted, even though it was destructive, that would not be love. That would not be love. He loves us too much to leave us in that state and in that position. He's rightly angered about our behavior and unaccepting of it. But his great love is seen in that he pays the price on our behalf through his son. And it is finished. He pays the debt. We would say, if you love me, then give me what I want. God says, I love you, so I gave you what you need. And this is the love of God, that he gave you and I what we need. And the simple question is, have you received that gift? Have you received that gift of God on your behalf? Perhaps you're in here and you've been upset and mad that God has not given you what you wanted. Maybe you walk around this time of year and you look at other people and you get upset at God because maybe they have something that you want and God hasn't given it to you. Oh, maybe it's not as shallow as something shiny or a possession or a car or a house or maybe it's just a family that you want to have together and not fighting at this time of year. Or maybe it's just a family that's separated by distance. And you get mad at God because you have not given me what I want. And perhaps in that anger or in that discontent, you have ignored that God has given you what you need. And he offers you what you truly need in your life. And is it possible that you've not been willing to accept what God offers what you need because you're so focused on he has not given you what you want? And I would just encourage you to consider the gift that God offers you, that he loves you, and he loves you by offering and giving you what you need. 
Let me just shift for the last few minutes together, focused a little bit. That's how God loves us. But actually, this passage has a lot to say about how we are supposed to love each other. In fact, John, in writing to the church, is actually saying, because God loves you this way, here's how you're supposed to love. Here's your response. Look again at 1 John chapter 4. And I want to just expand to the context a little bit. We read verses 9 and 10. I want to read verses 7 through 12 for you. So just before and just after this passage about God's love, here's what it says. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's what John's saying. Look, here's the wonderful love that God has for you. And if you receive that, then you are now to go and love others in the same way. I might put it this way. Having received what you need from God, then love others according to their needs and not your wants. Because you are now called to love others, and specifically in this passage, John uses the term brothers, and I think brothers and sisters will be included in that. He's talking about those in the church. You are now called to be a part of a community of people that would love each other so deeply, so sacrificially, that it would be, it would be evidence and it would be a reflection. It would look like how God loves you. This is the kind of love you're called to. So this is the way I would put it. Having received what you need from God, then you then love others according to their needs and not your wants. What does that look like? Well, when I love someone or when I say I'm loving someone, I think a lot of times I'm loving according to how I want to define love. And a lot of times that's according to my wants. What I want to give or what I don't want to want in my life. I don't want to have a lack in my life, so I stop loving at some point. I give according to my wants often. When I love according to my wants, I stop when I'm good. Right? When I feel good about myself, I'll stop when I, get, when I love according to my wants. I've, I've helped enough, pat myself on the back. I feel good. I'm good. I've loved according to my wants because I've given what's extra. I've given what's not going to hurt me to give. I've given what's not going to cost me a lot. I've given enough, though, that other people would be like, wasn't that so generous? Isn't he so nice? Isn't she so caring? I stop when I'm good. But if I'm going to love according to another person's needs, I can't stop until they're good. 
I can't stop until they're all right. And isn't this how God loved you and me? That he didn't love according to his wants. He loved according to our needs. And it cost him his son. He loved so he gave everything. Because that's what we needed. And this is the community he calls his church to be. And if you were to look through 1 John, this little short five-chapter book, you would see this theme running through it that John again and again is telling this early church, this little gathering of believers, you have got to start loving each other. You have got to love each other. Here's what he says. Let me just give you a few verses. He says this in chapter 2. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. He continues. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. That's pretty strong language. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He says this in chapter chapter 3. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do you know that? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then there's this one um, in chapter 4. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And finally, in chapter 4, he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. With John spending so much time on this topic in this letter, two things are clear to us. One, this is an important point not to be missed by Jesus' followers. And two, it's something that is often missed by Jesus' followers. It's something that in John's day, they didn't always get right. And in our day, we don't always get right either. If we're not a problem, he would not have had to talk about it so much. And it's still a constant battle. It's constant battle to love, not according to our wants, but according to another's needs. We often care for people in the church according to our wants and not their needs. John is calling his readers to a much higher level of love in the church. God gave according to what we needed, even though it cost him greatly, and he calls us to this same kind of love. We are to become a community that radically and sacrificially loves each other. That's the community of Christ that Jesus calls his followers to. And it's a radical and amazing thing that God is bringing about in love. This is the love that God sent Jesus into Bethlehem to begin and to show. A love between people who otherwise are completely unlike one another. 
that's more radical and deep committed love than any other relationship on the planet. That's what Jesus said. That your love for those within other Christ followers would be greater even than your love for family members, mothers, fathers, children, husband, wife. That your love for one another would even exceed that. It's a love not just for one nation or one tribe or one country or people who look like you or act like you or think like you or have similar backgrounds as you. This is the love that's to exist in the family of God. That's the foundation and reflection of the kingdom of God in heaven. This is to be the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. The church ought to, above all, be a place that people outside the church and look at and say, oh, how they love one another. The people outside the church would say, I may not agree with what they believe. I may not like what they have to say. I may not agree. I, I may be totally opposite of, of what they state and what they, what they believe. But oh, how they love one another. But shouldn't we love each other like that? See, Jesus wanted his church to begin to be the place that God had intended his creation to be in the first place, this love between one another that we all long for but don't know how to get. And this is the already not yet advent. The already not yet advent, that already God has sent his son into the world to show us what love looks like. And to tell us that this is how we ought to love one another, but it's not yet fully complete. That we don't have this pure love for one another completely yet. That this is what we're moving towards. This is, the church is supposed to be the place that's to show a picture of what the people of God and what God's people are supposed to live like. That one day Jesus is coming back and he will have a people that loves God perfectly and loves each other perfectly. That's the second advent. This is the already, not yet, advent. Love has come into the world. It's begun, but it's not yet complete. This is the love. We ought to be a place that people who are not a part of the church ought to say, if that's what God's love looks like, I may need to consider what they're saying. If that's the kind of love that God might have for me, that I need to listen maybe to what they're saying. This is the love that God has called us into, the love that we're to have for one another. I want to finish up. I want to close by reading a parable of Jesus as the worship team comes. There's a parable of Jesus that probably isn't a familiar Christmas passage to many of us. Unless you grew up in a very liturgical um, a church that remembers Advent in the way that Advent was originally uh, recognized by the church, which is looking towards the second Advent, which is looking towards Christ coming again. Because Advent in its historical church form wasn't necessarily looking at Bethlehem. It was looking at the fact that Jesus is coming again and will you be ready when he does? Will you be ready? And so some of the parables that were read during that time are from Matthew chapter 25, and this one is from Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And like I said, it's not your typical church uh, Christmas passage. 
but it is an important passage for the church because this is the way that Jesus expects us to live. It starts out like this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, second advent, when he comes again. So we're looking towards that second advent. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of, listen to this phrase, the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. I have no doubt that that second group of the goats, they visited somebody. They, they, they probably loved according to their wants. They gave to somebody because they thought they were in. They thought they were followers of this master, of the Lord. I, I think they probably loved according to their wants. What they didn't do is love according to another's needs. They weren't going to go and visit the least of them in prison. They weren't going to go and share in the least of those that was hungry and thirsty. When Jesus comes back again, he's expecting that his followers will be loving each other in this way. That we'll be looking out and caring and this is the kind of people he's coming back for. And so as we think about that and we think about the love of God he has for us and the love he's called us to have, I think there are many places in our church that I think they're encouraging places where, where we've received the love of God and we see people loving each other in a loving way. We've had a string of people losing loved ones lately. When I come to someone's house and they say, 
oh, pastor, so-and-so already called me, already visited me, already checked in with me, already came by. There's a joy in my heart that says the church is being the church and loving people the way God has called us to love each other. That's a good thing. Now, we need to keep walking with people, not until we're good, but until they're good, right? All right, are you good? Are you ready? We'll walk with you until you get there. I love when I hear about our men's group on Monday nights that's in the cafe and there's a guy that'll fall on tough times. Something comes up in their life that's hard and the men just pass the hat or they take care of it. And I had a guy this, after the first service say, you know, that was me. You know, I came in one night and before I even sat down, they handed me an envelope because I knew what I was going through. And they said, this is for you. And loving each other in that way and taking care of each other in that way. It's the people that are out in those rooms outside these walls right now that are teaching those kids who probably want to be sitting where you're sitting. But they know those kids need somebody to love them and teach them about Jesus right now. Those places in our life that we love according to another's needs, not according to our wants. This is when we're getting close to where God has called us to love as he loves. And so where is that for you in your life? Have you received the love that God has for you? That gift that turns away the anger of God? If not, then today is the day for you to turn to him and say, God, I want that. You know what? I wouldn't have asked for it because there's so many other things I want, but this morning I'm convinced by the Holy Spirit that that's what I need more than anything is your sacrifice for my sins. And if that's you, then it's not hard. He didn't make it difficult. It's simply turning to him in your own words and saying, God, I need Jesus in my life. I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. I want to receive that forgiveness in my life from Jesus. And you can do that. And if you're here and you're a Christian, then the question for us is, are you ready for that second advent? We spend a lot of time talking about the first one this time of year. We spent a lot of time talking about a baby in a manger. I love the songs. I love the carols. I'm in it. I'm all in it. But the real question is, are you ready for the second one? Will he find you loving the way he has called to love when he comes again? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you, God, for, God, the privilege it is to come up and share about it this morning. I thank you. I thank you, God, that um, Lord, though sin causes anger and brokenness, that you did not leave us in that place, that you loved us too much to leave us there. Lord, I pray for any person in this room who is considering that, that you are tugging on their heart, that this morning would be the morning that they would have the courage to accept you, to follow you, to receive the gift of what they need, even if they have not received everything they've wanted, to recognize that you have loved us in this way that you meet our needs. Lord, that you have loved us in the way that we need it most. Lord, I pray, Lord, for your church today. I thank you for Mount Hope. I thank you for the many ways that Mount Hope loves each other well. 
Lord, I pray that you'd help us to love each other better, to love, Lord, according to each other's needs, not simply according to our wants, and that we would do this in Jesus' name so that the world looking on might say, but oh, how they love one another and might get a picture of what your love looks like and be drawn to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name.